0: welcome back to bible love we are recording this on october 4th which is the feast of saint francis i hope you found a blessing of the animals to get to this week Uh, so for today we thought we would pray the collect for this feast day let us pray most high omnipotent good lord grant your people grace to renounce gladly the vanities of this world that following the way of blessed francis we may for love of you delight in your whole creation with perfectness of joy through jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you and the holy spirit one god forever and ever Amen.
1: amen
2: Well, Bible Love listeners, we are back with Dr. Tony Hopkins. And so this is going to look just a little bit different because um, Dr. Tony, who is like so um, knowledgeable of all of this, has really helped Alan and I kind of think about this next part of the Bible that we're going into. Um, it needs a little bit more explanation, I think, and also like we always want to um, keep in mind that we are here to make the Bible come alive for us in its history and not let this be like an overcomplicated, you know what I mean, like thing. And so um, Dr. Tony encouraged us to kind of slow down a little bit. And I think that is a really good thing. So today, we're going to, before we get into Isaiah, which is the next book of the Bible that we have, we're going to talk about just the Hebrew prophecy in general and sort of an overview of that. Um, And I think that's going to help us all understand as we move into this next section of the Bible. So, Tony, so thankful you're here. Um, Talk to us about this.
1: Thanks, Mary Balfour. Thanks, Alan. And um, I'm delighted to be here as always. This is just one of my favorite things to do. And Mary Balfour is exactly right. We want to make the Bible accessible, understandable, excitable. And, and so when we do, let me do a couple of disclaimers first. Today's notes are rather longer than they're, than you're used to. They're not intended for you to sit down and read beginning to end. That's a lot. But what I've done, because this is an overview of all the Hebrew prophets, over the years I have gathered up, who these prophets were, when did they live, how was that in relation, was it before the exile, during the exile, after the exile, which ones were from the northern kingdom, which ones were from the southern kingdom. And I'm the kind of person that once in a while I like to see all of that. I like to just see where every prophet fits in the canon, where they fit into history, where they fit into geography. So I've put all of that for you in an appendix at the end of the notes you don't need to just sit down and try to read that unless you're having insomnia and then it'll help you. But otherwise that's just a, that's just a reference for you. Okay. Now when we talk about prophets in the Hebrew Bible, the first thing we need to separate is there is the common noun prophet. A prophet is a person. Isaiah was a prophet. Jonah was a prophet. Hezekiah, uh, Hezekiah was a king. Um, Ezekiel was a prophet. Um, So that's one word, but there's also prophet with a capital P. There is a proper noun because the Hebrew Bible, what we think of as the Old Testament, has three divisions, the law, the prophets, and the writings. One of the reasons that's hard for people like us who only read English Bibles is when they translated the Bible into English, they rearrange these sections, particularly the prophets and the writings. If we were going through the books in the order that they're in the Hebrew canon, we wouldn't have done Psalms yet. We wouldn't have done Job. We wouldn't have done First and Second Chronicles. So our English translators have made it a little bit difficult for us. So I'm going to see if I can help us, first of all, understand how the prophets are organized in the Hebrew Bible. The prophets, second big division of the Bible, law, prophets, writings. The prophets is the second big division. Within that Based on history, on a timeline, on chronology, there are the former prophets. Those books include Joshua, Judges, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. In those books, the the people who are prophets—Elijah, Elisha, Nathan—are talked about in the third person. Someone tells us their stories. So. Prophets are divided into former prophets, talked about in the third person, and then the latter prophets. By now, prophecy has become so important in Hebrew history and in the Hebrew canon. The prophets are getting to speak for themselves. They get to write their books. They get to tell their own stories, speak their own words. So biggest section, the prophets. First, former third person narrative latter, first-person autobiographical. Finally, we're going to take the latter prophets and divide them one more time into the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, not because they're more important than the other prophets, but simply because of the volume of their writing, which is in turn a reflection of how long they lived and prophesied. So major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, And then there are 12 minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Habakkuk, Obadiah, all the rest. Um, And interestingly, in the Hebrew Bible, all of those 12 minor prophets, all of their writings are in one book, where we've got 12 books in our English Old Testament. In the Hebrew Bible, that's simply the book of the 12. So prophets, former, latter, and then latter, major, minor. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, you know, Tony, it does make sense. One thing when I've like taught confirmation classes and and learned stuff in um, seminary, of course, was, you know, the Bible is is kind of like a library, right? You don't just like pull one out. You got to kind of read the whole thing. And in a library, things are very organized, right? And so the way you're talking about this major, minor in the three sections, like it may feel a little bit confusing, but actually it kind of makes like it's academic. Um, it, it makes sense. academic. Well, I think.
1: If actually, think. when we learn not to get too much into psychology, but we all have these cubicles in our mind, you know, American history has its cubicle. European history has its cubicle. And then when you learn South Carolina history, that's, that's a smaller box within the American history cubicle. We're doing the same thing. Right. It's is a big cubicle. That gets divided into former and latter, and then latter gets divided into major and minor. And, and once you kind of get that, it actually helps you find your way around in the Bible. It would help us more if English translators had kept the original sequence. <laughs> and so I did, by the way, including the notes just for you to see, here are the book's of the Hebrew Bible in the order they are in in the Hebrew Bible before the English translators got their hands on them and rearranged them.
2: Interesting. Okay.
1: All right, now let's talk about the people who were prophets. There are a few people, we didn't really talk about it much when we were doing the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but there are a few people in the Pentateuch who are named as prophets. Um, Abraham, Miriam is one, the sister of Moses, Uh, but it's just mentioned in passing. Now we've come to a time that these prophets are emerging to be uh, themselves bigger parts of the story, and that they are prophets is a bigger part of their identity because they are recognized as prophets. What they say has more cultural significance. It has more religious significance, and in terms of literature, that they are prophets is a bigger part of the plot. So we see the the evolution, the development, the growth of Hebrew prophecy. There are four terms, really, that are used for the people that we call prophets. First, in Israel, prophets were called seers, and this was true in other cultures in the ancient Near East. Even today, we use this language, gosh, I'm struggling right now. I don't seem to be able to see God's will. Or, uh, boy, I'm just at a time that... That, that what what God wants me to do today, I, I can see that very clearly. And so we still use this language of seeing as a metaphor for receiving, just like we talk about, hearing God's will. So so the earliest prophets were called seers. That language doesn't hang around very long. And interestingly, the writer of 1 Samuel says those who used to be called seers in Israel are now known as prophets. He wants us to know that the seers are part of the prophetic tradition. Uh, it's very common. About 70 times um, a, a prophet is referred to as the man of God. Uh, not that All of the early prophets were male, but the vast majority were And this seems to have been a pretty common term. And the reason it it seems to evolve is what's the most important feature of being a prophet? It's your relationship with God. If you don't belong to God, if what you're saying isn't coming out of what your relationship with God is and what you're hearing from from God, you're not a prophet. That's the most important thing. Then we find a little more than a dozen times, This term, the sons of the prophets, the inclusive language translations like the one I use will tend to say the company of prophets to get rid of the male word. But these were prophetic groups. There, There was a time in Hebrew prophecy when one really known prophet would gather around himself apprentices they felt called to prophecy. They felt gifted for prophecy. So the most important one is Elijah. He's the father of Hebrew prophecy. There was always one person who was the main prophet in the guild. And when that person died, the group would ask this question, on whose spirit is our former father's uh, spirit going to fall? And so When Elijah dies, the group perceives that the spirit of Elijah has fallen on Elisha. And so now Elisha becomes the head of the guild or the prophetic group. But far and away, the term that is used most often is the word that we translate prophet. In Hebrew, navi, and it means one who speaks for God, one who proclaims God's will or God's message. This term is used more than 300 times in the Hebrew Bible, and the plural Nevaim, prophets, as we've talked about, uh, gives us our name for the second division of the Hebrew Bible. So, that's the language of prophecy. Well, what did prophets do? First and foremost, the prophet was a spokesperson for Yahweh. Uh, that, that may be a little bit, that risk, you know, that may risk oversimplification. But everything else that comes out of Hebrew prophecy comes back to the prophet has a special relationship with Yahweh, a special calling from Yahweh, and speaks for Yahweh. Normally that means uh, this big event has just happened. What does it mean? The prophet was the one who would answer that question. The prophet would come and say, this is what this means for us as the people of God. Uh, Very often, that event was a catastrophe. And the prophet was saying, what this means is God's not happy. This is God's judgment. Um, The prophets, at the same time, in the way that they often focused their attention on God, what God was trying to say, they also focused their attention on relationships between people. And this came out in the prophetic calls for justice. God wants us to care for the poor. God doesn't want widows and orphans to fall through the cracks of the culture or the socioeconomic system. God doesn't want the rich to get richer while people are going hungry. God doesn't want uh, the, the worship to thrive if at the same time we're not feeding hungry people. We're not caring for the marginalized and the oppressed. It's an affront to God, uh, to put it in Christian terms, for us to show up at church on Sunday and neglect the marginalized Monday through Saturday. So that's very much a part of the prophet's message. And the prophet became so important, king, the king would call him in and say, I'm thinking about going to battle. What do you see?" What do you expect? Military leaders would do the same thing. And it it came to be thought that the prophet's word had so much power that if the king said, am I going to lose this battle? And the prophet said, yes. And the king did lose the battle. The king would blame the prophet. It's your fault. Once you spoke this, it had to be because you speak for God. So, it's a it's a remarkable um penetration of the hebrew culture at its height
2: tony one thing that's in my mind as i hear you talk about like the description of a prophet and i know like in our all in our own humility like it's hard for us to like sometimes accept this and then also because of like religious leaders who have um mm-hmm given shame, I think, to the word prophet that sometimes, but I do believe in my heart that all of us have a prophetic voice of of some kind, any, not just priests and ministers. I mean, I think St. Francis is a wonderful example of that. Francis was a deacon. He was never ordained a priest, you know, And he lived in the margins and lived for justice. And I think God spoke through him. And I think we all have an opportunity to hear that voice that God is speaking from within us, just speaking to us from within us and and then to proclaim that. So I know that word prophet is scary, but I think that there is a prophetic voice within all of us if we choose to find
1: it. Well, the New Testament agrees with you, and it's always nice to hear that, um, because the early church names this prophecy as one of the one of the gifts of the Spirit, that something that God gives people to do. Well, kind of the big thing, the prophet, let me also mention, prophets were also worship leaders. They sometimes offered sacrifice. On the one hand, prophets were different from priests. The biggest difference is the priesthood was handed down from father to son. It was hereditary. Being a prophet was not. To be a prophet, you just had to be called by Yahweh. So that's a big difference. But there's some overlap. Some, um, they both pray, le- leading the people in prayer. The the prophets occasionally do sacrifice. And then like, Jeremiah um, and uh, Zechariah are said to be both priests and prophets. Isn't that, isn't that interesting?
2: Both of those things.
1: And uh, the the other thing that I want to talk a little bit is about words and actions. Uh, First of all, the prophets are very comfortable telling people what to do, (laughs) what you should do. Um, But also in terms of language, they are wonderful with metaphor and parable Um, using metaphors. Isaiah talks about this vision of, of a plumb line back before we had lasers. You just dropped a weight at the end of the string, and then that's how you made the corner of a building square. Gravity never changes. So the plumb line reminds us that God's moral code, God's ethical standard never changes, and that's always what we are to be judged against. Um The allegory of the vineyard in Isaiah 5 is not only beautiful, but we think it's the backdrop for Jesus' allegory of the vineyard in Matthew. Um, So uh, imperatives, do this, but also metaphorical language, parable. Remember after David commits both adultery and murder, Nathan comes in and tells a story about This guy who had a hundred sheep, but took his neighbor's little ewe lamb. And it turns out to be David. You are the man, Nathan says. So that kind of language. And then the prophets also would offer prophetic actions. Um, One of the most memorable is Ezekiel shaves his head. He burns a third of the hair. He chops up the third of the hair. And a third of the hair he scatters to the wind. And this is a symbol of what's going to happen to the people in the destruction of the city when the exile begins. Some will die in the burning of the city, some will be killed with the sword, and some will be scattered or carried off into exile. So, especially when you get to Hosea and Ezekiel, uh, to some degree, Jeremiah, you'll get to talk about not only what the prophet said but what the prophets did. Now, let me do a little bit to try to encapsulate the prophetic message. It was never the intent of the prophets to produce a systematic theology. (laughs) Their prophecies tend to be situational, and in this they're like the letters of the New Testament. The letters of the New Testament generally respond to specific circumstances. Nonetheless, there are themes that run through Hebrew prophecy. The first is that there's one true God. This is the most important truth in the law. Remember when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So in a time when Israel's neighbors worshiped many gods, there is one true and living God who is both the creator of everything that is and is the covenant God, the God that made covenant with Abraham. This God is sovereign. That means that God has the right to tell us how to live. It means that when we mess up, God has the right to call us to repentance. And it means that when we don't repent, God has the right to punish us. Now, I'm going to say again, on this side of Jesus, we don't really believe that old reward and retribution theology that we're going to see over and over in the Hebrew prophets. But that was part of their worldview. And so you're going to see that. That sovereignty, that's how sovereignty applies to individuals. It also applies to the nations. So God can chasten Israel, and the sovereign God can use, for example, the nation of Assyria to do that, to chasten Israel. At the same time, God is holy. Whatever is good or righteous is so, because it is consistent with the character and will of God, and whatever is evil or unrighteous is so, because it is consistent with the character and will of God. God is merciful. Because God is sovereign, God would be, a, would be justified in holding us to this unachievable standard. But instead, God responds to human weakness with mercy. God's mercy is surprising. It sometimes appears whimsical to us. But because God is sovereign, God can offer mercy to whomever God chooses. And then finally, because God is sovereign, God is entitled to tell us how to live. Uh, Again, particularly in relationship with other people, we are to be just in our dealings with one another. We are to resist greed and corruption. We are to look after the poor. We are to look after the foreigner. You were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. It's part of your heritage. Don't abuse others the way that you were abused. Uh, Be kind to one another. It ends up being, you know, the Apostle Paul tells the Galatians, the whole law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that is also a summary of how the prophets say that human beings should treat one another.
2: Yeah, so I know we have this big figure, Jesus, that comes in later on, but you can't help but think about that the truth has been the truth the entire time, right? Yeah. You know, love your neighbor, love God. That's that's all over the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, wherever it is, you know. And um, I love that you brought in um, the comparisons in the New Testament that are are literally pulled from the prophetic voices I think that's so important for people to see that all of this works together right because sometimes we just want to like close the Old Testament and be like that's Jewish law that's not my history but it is our history um Jesus there's no
1: way to overstate the influence of Hebrew prophecy on John the Baptist or Jesus they were they considered themselves to be in the prophetic lineage of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all of the rest. They spoke that way. They acted that way. It shaped their theology. And we'll get to talk about that more, you guys, particularly as you go into a more detailed uh, exploration of some of these passages.
2: Alan, what do you think? I think this has been super helpful. Yeah,
0: this has been great. Um, And it helped reframe when I think of prophecy, generally, not scripturally, but kind of the world, like I'm looking for what does this tell me about the future, right? And I think there's, if you could say a little bit about how do we, you know, I think there's parts of the Hebrew prophecy that we do look back and say, Jesus fulfilled this or this was fulfilled here, whatever. But are we reading this looking for like what's going to happen in our future? Are we looking at this as a roadmap for what's coming down? What is that? How has that kind of future-oriented, predicting the future, how has that been infused in how we see prophets?
1: Thanks for bringing that up, Alan. Um, the prophets would not have said to you, uh, my role is to predict the future. If the prophet talked about something that was going to happen in the future, it was as a sign or a confirmation that God's message or God's will was being proclaimed. Remember in the birth narrative of Jesus, uh, this will be a sign for you. You will find the child wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel was saying, God's Savior has been born. Sometime in the future, and this was a pretty short time, in a little while, in an hour, whatever it was, when you see this, you will know that what I've spoken is true. So when the Hebrew prophets talk about future events, it is simply as a sign or a confirmation that the, this and in the present is God's will. So prophets are proclaimers rather than predictors, and prophecy is foretelling more than it is foretelling.
2: I think that's an excellent way to stop this today and so we're gonna dig in more with dr tony next week he's he's always here for us aren't we lucky remember listeners we love you but most importantly god does